So we have this tradition at Element. It's we do this kind of every year where we have you guys go home the the last Sunday, kind of before we hit Christmas Eve Sunday, and you make cookies. Well, I'm glad some of you are excited about it because you're going to make cookies and you're going to bring them back. Okay, it's not like oh I get to go make cookies, yay! No, and you bring them back. So we're going to hand out these bags. Okay, you're going to put them in the bags. You're going to bring them back, and next Sunday we're going to hand them out. You don't have to put your name on it. So if yours are horrible, nobody knows. Be like, oh, somebody made hockey pucks. <laughs> Great. This is a chocolate cookie. No, it's just burnt. Right? <laughs> so, but what we're doing with, uh, we're going to hand them out next week when you guys bring them back. So bring all the bags back of cookies. We're going to put them out for a cookie kind of exchange back there. But, but whatever is left over is going to end up going to the VA. So the, uh, the, apparently they, they'll get snacks there uh, periodically, but they say usually right before Christmas, nothing comes in. So we're going to actually uh, take them down, give them to somebody that works at the VA, and they're going to hand them out so the people who go through there can actually get some cookies. So, so make some cookies and, and make them good. Make them good. I also have this little thing to tell you about. We have, we have sold out our theater for Star Wars, <laughs> except I have one ticket. Does anybody have a friend they wanted to bring? Really? Oh, it goes to you. She cleans my office. (laughs) Uh, If you guys don't know, Jason and V uh, volunteer a lot of their time, and they clean around Element. They do a lot of cool stuff. And so I'm like, it's hers. It goes to her. (laughs) Yay! So... All right, what was I talking about? I forgot. I got lost in Star Wars. It happens. It happens. I, I am like refusing. Like, oh, watch this trailer, this TV spot. I'm like, I am not looking. I am not looking. Luke Skywalker is Kylo Ren. I am not looking. I just, no. All right. Uh, so if you are going through the Advent booklets with us, if you are newer today, this is kind of kind of be like, what are you talking about? Uh, we inst- we normally put sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room, but we haven't done that the last three weeks because we handed out these uh, Advent booklets, and in there there's daily devotions and, and stuff like that. And there, I think there's like one or two left. I think the only ones left are like back there. So we've given about 500 of these things away. Uh, the sermon notes and everything are in there. Uh, but there's also daily devotions. So if you are going through that and you're wondering where we're at, tomorrow your daily devotions for week f- uh, four, day one, start on page 60. It's like, I haven't even opened it. There's over 60 pa- Yes, there's like 100 pages in there. Okay, so page 60. And then if you're looking for sermon notes for today, they're actually on page 46. If you are newer, newer to Element, there are Bibles in the back, and if you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You click on Live in that. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the verses and stuff we go through, as well as some of the announcements. This morning, I'm talking really fast. I can feel it. I can feel it. And if I can feel it, it's fast, <laughs> right? So uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for prayer? Father, thank you so much for being a God who brings joy to your people, even in the midst of our sorrow and sadness. I ask today that you would help us to understand what you have done to rescue and redeem and save us, and that our joy would flow out of that, and our lives would honor you for what you have done. Amen. Have a seat. Here is your Advent reading. Matthew 1, 18-25, The Birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Joseph, son of David, David, do do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I'm like hanging out in the back of the room. I gotta walk up here. It takes forever. Sure. So we are, as I said, going through this Christmas season. I'm calling it Advent. It's gonna take us all the way into Christmas Eve, which means Christmas Eve is kind of be the culmination of all the four weeks that we've talked about. So on Christmas Eve, feel free to invite as many people as you like. You should probably come early because they fill up really, really fast. Uh, and, and they'll get it. It'll make a lot of sense to them. But if you've been through these four weeks of Advent, Christmas Eve is going to make a lot more sense to you with some of the other stuff that we talk about. It's all going to start to hopefully connect as we go through it. As we've gone through Advent, the first week of Advent is hope. It's about all the scriptures in the Bible pointing to Jesus coming to rescue and redeem us. The second week we looked at the incarnation, that Jesus has become a man, that Jesus took on flesh and all the implications that that meant because God loved us. Today we're going to look at joy and our joy candle is lit. I know you can't see it because it's hiding out behind the keyboard, but it's lit. Trust me, I can see it. If something catches on fire, I will run. And grab the fire extinguisher right over there. That's, that's what I'll do. Uh, next week is going to be about peace. And then on Christmas Eve, it's all going to come together with the idea of God with us. And the lantern in the center of the room will actually be written. Hopefully it won't catch on fire and fall on anybody's head either. Uh, so at one point in the Christmas season, we talked about Advent. Advent was originally a fast that lasted 40 days. 40 days. I, I don't understand how this, how this works because I think fast is a horrible word for not eating because to me it goes really slow. Right? You got that, that's that old, that movie that came out, uh, Fast and the Furious. If I didn't know it was about cars, I'd think it'd about, be about not eating, right? Because I get fast and I get furious because I don't eat and I get, I get kind of angry. I mean, I honestly think Christmas is one of the best times in, in the entire year because everybody starts making cookies and they're, most of them are pretty good. Not all of them, most of them are pretty good. And you also get the God-inspired peppermint bark. Uh, yeah, pray, <laughs> Paul in the back rooms, pray Jesus. <laughs> Peppermint bark. Now, uh, so when it started as this fast for this long, it actually started on what we would call Veterans Day today. Started November 11th, went all the way through uh, Christmas. Uh, in the 9th century, the duration was shortened, and then it started doing just four weeks, and it started to start in a little sober reflection. But on week three, which is this week, this week is we started to move into joy to understanding what Jesus had come to do. So it kind of became the counterpart to Lent, the opposite side of that, the celebration now that Jesus has come to rescue us. There is all this liturgy that took place throughout the Advent season as well, and it was all in expectation and preparation for the Feast of Christmas and the second coming of Jesus. What it does, it symbolizes all the gladness and promises made by God throughout the scriptures about redemption. So as I said, the third Sunday is usually always about joy, about joy. It commemorates the visits of the, of the Magi as they went to visit Jesus. And so you see that they go and they find the newborn king, or the newborn king has actually come to 
find us. They named the third Sunday of Advent Gaudet from the, from the Latin word for joy. It comes from Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's where it comes from. And if you look through the scriptures, believe it or not, joy isn't as prevalent in the Bible, the word joy, as you would think. Its concept is, but not the word itself. The word for joy is actually not in a lot of Old Testament books. It appears sporadically in others. And I think it's kind of understandable because a lot of the scriptures in the Old Testament are dealing with this idea of life outside the garden. Man has fallen, relationship with God has been broken, so it starts to deal with that. The Hebrew word for joy, it implies an outward expression of being excited. The Greek word means this intense joy. And in the Old and New Testament, as you start to see this word come up, what it does is it marks both individually of the believer what it looks like in their lives, but also corporately as a church. Churches are supposed to be known for their joy because they're worshiping Jesus. So think about you know your experience with churches throughout your life is that typically the response you have to churches, oh man, that place is so full of joy, I can't believe it. Just throw it out there. And as, it's supposed to be that as we understand salvation more and more and more, we become a joyful people. Joy becomes a quality of our lives. It's not just an emotion based upon what's taking place in our lives at the moment. We're grounded in joy because our joy is derived from God himself who came to save us. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You, that's God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Philippians 4, 4 again, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say rejoice, always, always, always. This, this is like enthusiastic and it's concentrated that joy, when we understand it correctly, should bubble out of our lives. In the Old Testament, you find the most joy in the context of God's people gathering together to worship him corporately and also seeing when the community gathers for these feasts that God ordains and have feasts, eat, drink, be merry, remember me in the midst of it because we all love a good party. At least I do. Okay. Now, the other places you see this word joy pop up in the Old Testament, you'll see Exodus 4 uh, when you meet a close relative or a friend, Uh, Jeremiah 20 uh, when a child is born, Psalm 45 is at the sound of music, not country music, right, but, you know, good music, you know, it's it's then. Uh, Proverbs uh, 12, it's when you hear good words. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, it's when your enemies are defeated. And and I know this because sometimes my friends and I will get together and, and we'll play Halo, and my team usually loses, but when we win, it is a victory dance, and it is joyful. We're like, woo! It's biblical. It's biblical. In Ecclesiastes 11, the teacher urges the students to rejoice in their youth. This means if you're young enough to get out of bed and your body doesn't snap or creak or pop and your back feels okay, rejoice. Because one day... Yeah, it'll hurt. It'll hurt. In Deuteronomy 24, uh, 24 uh, men are encouraged to bring joy to their wives. In Proverbs 5, you're supposed to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, God's teachings are a reason for joy. Now open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament. I promise you it's there. More towards the end, but you'll get there. Uh, Habakkuk is the guy who comes along and he says, even when our crops fail and there's nothing left to eat, there is reason for joy in God because he is the only one that brings salvation. Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 verse 18 says, yet I rejoice in the Lord, I'll be joyful in God my Savior. And so when you get to like Zechariah 9, what you see is this is a prophecy of the Messiah coming. And so they look forward to this and they took this and said, well, this is going to be about the Messiah. This is amazing. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
And so they saw this, oh, this is going to be, be the Messiah when he comes. So when Jesus is born, there's a strong note of joy at his birth in Matthew chapter 2 and Luke 1 and Luke 2. But then also, when you get to the end of Jesus' life and he goes in for his last week into Jerusalem, they start to make this prophecy. They go, oh, this is about Jesus going into Jerusalem and his death and his resurrection. So there becomes a lot of joy in that as well in Matthew 28 and Luke 24. But what I want to do is I want to walk with you through this idea of joy. I believe joy comes as a result of this deep connection between Jesus and the church and us and each other and us and Jesus. So open your Bibles to John chapter 16. That's my warm-up, by the way. We're just getting there now. Uh, I know Advent is about the birth, but the night before Jesus is going to die, he's trying to explain to his disciples that they're going to experience pain and what joy was meant to be through that. So he says, don't despair, don't get discouraged, don't give up. There's a reason why I was born uh, and why they would eventually know this greater joy. And the scene in John 16, it's meant to be kind of tender. It's meant to be really nice. But when the way John tells the story, the disciples are all confused, and it becomes more comical than tender. And he's like, no. if you ever think of, like, what were the disciples like? Just be like, Ugh. that's the disciples, okay? You got the picture of them. They're like that a lot. John 16, starting in verse 16, Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were asking, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me. His disciples were like, That's exactly what we're talking about. Thanks for the wind-up. Could you just get to the point? Because we're totally lost. Verse 21, Jesus says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me, and that's literally you won't need to ask me any more questions. So Jesus takes this and he starts with this metaphor. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. Now anguish, it's the word for pain. It means pressure or pushing together. It means affliction. So ladies, if you have birthed a child, is that true? Do you birth a child no longer remember the pain? (laughs) Not the women I've talked to, okay? Women I talked to, they were like, oh my goodness, I walked uphill in the snow 10 miles, my water broke, and I had 48 hours of labor. It's like war stories. It's just crazy, crazy stuff. These crazy war stories that come about. He knows. She knows. I got a 50-50 chance. Now, so we came up with this thing called Lamaze class, right? So in Lamaze class, you have people try and learn how to actually give birth to reduce the pain. In Lamaze class, they don't even like to use the word pain because the word pain becomes a downer. So they say the mom might be might have some discomfort, right? So get discomfort when she goes to child abuse. Now, you got husbands or coaches, whoever are there, and their job is to come alongside and remember the mom to be, to breathe. Like, that's their job. Breathe, breathe, breathe. Like, telling a woman who has breathed her entire life to breathe, I don't see how that helps as they push them the size of a bowling ball out of their body, right? How, do, how does that help? I don't... See, I'm telling you, it's on my side. It's on my side. I heard this story. Uh, of, uh, John Herpin told this story about a lady giving birth, and the doctor said the baby was sunny side up, okay? So, and I know it sounds very cheerful, but it's not. What it meant... <laughs> 
You're like, I am so full of joy. Woo! You're like, I'm so full of joy. I mean, what does your life look like? That's, that's a good question to start to ask. Do you have so much room for joy you have no room for any more? I mean, Jesus, you look at his life. His life was really, really hard. Hostility, opposition, but he never gets burned out. He doesn't lose his joy. I mean, we talked about this last week. He comes in the incarnation as a man, born of a woman, and he relies on his life on the Holy Spirit of God, knowing who God is and what God called him to be, and he never loses his joy. Frank Lake and Emil Bruner said there's a pattern to Jesus' life, and it's different than the pattern of our lives and all the lives today. said Jesus lived in this rhythm. Frank Lake called this the cycle of grace. And as I told you earlier, uh, I've been I'm reading this John Orberg book this year, and he kind of talks about this. So I went and grabbed Frank Lake's and Emil Bruner's and Trevor Hudson's book as they talk about all this understanding. And what this does is it helps us to understand God's grace and how that grace leads to joy and how that joy can be the center of what we do and, and how we begin to live. So there's four steps in this to understanding grace and joy. Be a four-point sermon. Not my four points. I stole them, but, you know, it's, it's okay. I'm going to use them. Uh, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And the first point in this is acceptance. Acceptance. Uh, grace starts here. It always starts here. In the nativity, Jesus is born into this world. He's got a mom who loves him. He has parents who nurture him. But before he starts his public ministry, Jesus goes and he gets baptized. He comes up out of the water and he hears a voice from heaven. Uh, it's not his father Joseph on the shore going, it's his father in heaven. Says, Mark 1.11, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So you have this, you are my son, that's your identity, you are loved, that's your value, I am well pleased, and that brings joy. And I know Jesus is God's own son, God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, but in his incarnation, in his humanity that we talked about last week, how do you think Jesus felt when he heard those words from his Father in heaven? You are my son, with you I am well pleased. See, for us today, our acceptance comes before our work, our acceptance is because of our work and our, and our achievements and all the things that we do. But in Christ, for us, our identity and acceptance come before achievement and before work and before ministry. It's all grace. Achievement is not something you do to demonstrate your identity. It becomes a joy that no one can take away because you know who you are and who God has called you to be and you rest and trust in the salvation of Jesus. Now, at Element, we have tons of babies being born. You, you know this, right? There's tons of babies always around here, and we, think, and we think that's great. But when kids are born, parents are always trying to come up with the right name. i got to pick the right name. Why? Because you don't want your kid to go through school getting beat up because you gave them the wrong name. So you want to honor your kid. You want to give them a name that shows that they're prized and loved. Now, the day on which you were born, you get no credit for. The day on which you were born is all about grace. John Orberg writes this, On that day you were weaker, slower, dumber, slimier, uglier, less coordinated, had a lower IQ, were a bigger nuisance than any other day in your existence. You had nothing to do with it, right? It's all about grace. You know, if you live a hundred birthdays, you will get a birthday card from the President of the United States. You know what you did to get that card? Just not die, right? Nothing. You did nothing. It's about... Grace. Jesus lived in God's acceptance. He didn't say, oh, God, make my life easier. Help me not to be rejected. His life wasn't easy. He was rejected. But he lived in the idea of, you are my beloved son. You are wanted. You are loved. And Jesus' acceptance was not just for his own sake. We're accepted because Jesus was accepted. It is all about grace. In John 1.16, it says, for from his fullness we have, re- we have all received grace upon grace. This is why he says before his death, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Your joy may be complete. No room for any more because you're so full of joy because you understand what God has done. 
Dallas Willard writes this, Joy is not pleasure, a mere sensation, but a pervasive and constant sense of well-being. Hope in the goodness of God is joy's indispensable support. See, joy is not pleasure. It's not sensation. It's, it's not just feeling happy in the moment because something's going on in your life. It's pervasive. It goes through your entire life. It's the constant well-being that we are in God's hands, that God has come to rescue and redeem us, that we are saved and we find joy in that. This is the understanding of when the Hebrews talk about shalom, peace between us and God and us and each other, that's the idea. We try and get our joy from a lot of things today. Let me ask you this question. Can you get joy from alcohol? If you're a Baptist, there's only one answer. I know, right? But, but if you... If you go to Element, you might have another answer in that. But the question really is more, can massive amounts of drugs or alcohol provide pervasive, constant well-being for the human soul? The answer is no. It is no. But neither can applause or achievement or human approval or meeting and marrying the right person or getting the right title or having the right technology or education or money. And yet we keep seeking all of these things. All of these things. The only thing that can provide pervasive and constant well-being for the human soul, for the entire, for all of creation, is Jesus. And that is what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus coming and rescuing and redeeming. This is why Paul says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. That's the only joy in the end that will matter to your life is joining the Lord. It comes from knowing who we really are in Him. That all of creation, all of us, are in the hands of an immensely powerful and confident God. That is the joy that comes from the Lord, and there's no other foundation for it. The second thing about grace and joy is sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. You will see Jesus live certain practices in his lives. He would, he'd pray every day. He was in a gospel community. He shared his life with others. He's vulnerable to them. He engages in corporate worship with other believers. He feeds his mind on scripture. He enjoys God's creation. He welcomes little kids, and he hugs them. He enjoyed parties with non-religious people because those are the best kind. Okay? I mean, there, there are these things that a few years ago that were really big. They're called spiritual disciplines. And in the church today, we've kind of run away from that because we don't like the word. It makes us sound like we're trying to do something to make God love us more, so we're afraid of them. But I will tell you, sometimes we need discipline in our lives to begin to live rightly. We need certain practices that we discipline into ourselves, like giving generously like serving one another, like loving hard people and going after people who irritate us because we're called to love them. We should be people that engage in practices that connect us with God's grace because it will result in joy. You all have a gas gauge in your car, right? I don't know where... My my wife has this car now. We put, like, gas in it ten times in the last three years. But in her old car, every time I got into it to drive it, it'd be, like, on empty. I'd be like, ah, I had to go fill it up. But imagine you, you had like a, like a joy gauge for your soul and your heart. Where would it be? Would it be on a full, like pushing the F, or would it be like pushing empty, or would it be in the middle? Where, where, where is it actually at? You look at the Apostle Paul. He is in prison, but on the inside his tank is full because he knows Jesus, the sustaining acceptance of a God who sought and loved him. We must be un- understand and start from the place that we were adopted by God. That means we were wanted we were wanted. The acceptance that comes, came to Jesus comes through Jesus to us because of the cross. That's who we are. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It doesn't matter what they say. And we start living in the knowledge always present in our mind of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he calls us to. We become a different kind of people. We start to live in joy. And we realize how it is God's grace that sustains us all the time. 
The third thing, grace and joy, is significance. Significance. And this is God's grace now flowing through us to other people. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. And I think we battle this all the time in our lives, this input-output tension. Jesus lives in acceptance. He lives there. And because that's sustaining grace in his life, he lives that out to other people. We as a people were made to make a difference beyond ourselves. Now, the word significance is related to this word sign. Like when you see a sign, what do signs do? They point somewhere. What are our lives meant to be? Because of the joy that we live in, they're meant to point towards Jesus and what he has done. Jesus makes these statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. That's why he came. And so we're here to point to who he is. And when we stop doing it, we stop living in joy because we're only focusing on ourselves. Jesus says to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. You are now that. You know, you are the light of the world. You're going to be a city on a hill. And when you're a city on this hill, everyone's going to see who you are because of how you live. That's a gift of God's grace. You know who you are meant to be. You know what you are meant to do. Do you know how many people in our world wish wish they knew that? What am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? You actually know. Apart from your job and your money and your power and your reputation, you know who you are. In Jesus, you are God's adopted child. What you see when Jesus lives is he faces temptation. Right after God says, you're my son, he heads out in the wilderness and the devil comes along and says, if you're the son of God, do this. And if you're the son of God, do that. In other words, don't trust the voice of God. Achieve, go and do all these things to, you know, that they'll make God really love you. Don't depend on grace. The temptation is trying to get Jesus to question his identity and feel like he had to prove something. You know what Jesus says? No. No. He quotes scripture, he knows who God is, and who God calls him to be. And the same thing is true for us. See, John Orberg says he says, significance is about who we are before it is about what we do. It is about who you are. You're a child of God. Before, it is about what you do. The fourth thing about grace and joy is achievement. And I know, I, I said it wasn't about you, but there's a little bit of achievement. This is action. It's not trying to make, make God like us more, but because of the joy, we begin to do things. Uh, Jesus taught. Jesus traveled. Jesus healed. Jesus explained things. He recruited people. He puts a team together. He builds into people. He develops people. He confronted others. I, I think Jesus achieved more than anybody else in human history. And he did all the work of the kingdom of God. But he does it all from grace. That means he did it with joy. The work he did fed him. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. It didn't matter when people didn't take it well. It didn't matter when people rejected what he said or didn't want it. It can never take away his joy. I love this story. At one point, Jesus goes and he heals 10 people with leprosy. All 10 are like, woo, and they're running off. One guy comes back and says, thank you. One guy. I am totally ADD, so I'm sure if I was one of the 10, I'd just keep running to you. I'm going home. I'm going to show my wife. Look, I'm clean. You know, I, one guy goes back. And yet Jesus doesn't get cynical about it. Jesus was around cranky, sinful, mean people all the time. It never took away his joy. He kept healing. He kept loving. He says to us, now you do the same thing. You don't get just to love people who are easy to love. I mean, if you know anybody like that, let me know. I've never met one. But if you know somebody, I'd really be glad to know them. We're to bring joy no matter where we are. If you're working in a situation and it doesn't go right, you still bring joy. If there are delays, you bring joy. If you get around cranky people, maybe it's you. Stop being cranky. Start bringing joy. If you're around someone who's suspicious of church people, bring joy. 
Be the weirdo, right? Be the, what's wrong with you? God save me. It's cool. Woo. I, I, maybe not like that. You know, I don't know. We're to live in grace because grace brings joy. It's part of living on mission. It's part of Advent and understanding that. Sometimes people think that, that joy is just getting all of your questions answered. Oh, if I didn't have any more questions, I could live in joy because I, I wouldn't worry about anything else anymore. The disciples are always pestering Jesus with questions. Like, hey, Jesus, can I sit at your right hand? Hey, Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive this guy? Hey, Jesus, why is this guy born blind? Hey, Jesus, why can't I cast out that demon? Hey, Jesus, what does this parable mean? Hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and blast the Samaritans off the face of the earth? Really? Okay. Hey, Jesus, which of us is the greatest? Hey, Jesus, what do you mean by a little while? Guys, they're just like us. We all have a lot of questions. We're always like, when I see God, I'm going to ask God this, right? You know, God, why does a six-year-old boy have a brain tumor? God, why did a bomb go off in Boston or these terrorists attack Paris and San Bernardino? Why, why do kids run away? Why do marriages fall apart? Why is there crippling depression in people's lives? I think part of the understanding is that we listen to what Jesus says. And he says, for a little while, you won't see me and things won't look right. You can see terrible things in the world. You see cancer and hunger and war and hatred and injustice and betrayal and abuse and violation. Then in a little while, and it's going to seem like a long time to you, but in the course of eternity, it's only a little while. And you will see me again. I will set everything right. The world's going to be reborn. Its birth pains will be forgotten. Joy will win. Jesus takes care of it all. And part of what we have to understand is as a people... We are now meant to be his hands and feet in the world. We're meant to be the ones right now bringing joy, starting that idea of restoration of all things. We are the ones who do that. I mean, when you hit Christmas, the idea of joy should be so pervasive because Christmas reminds us we were accepted by God. That should bring joy. It reminds us that God is the only one who sustains our life. That should bring joy. That we have a significant purpose to our life. And that brings joy. And that we achieve not because it makes God love us more than we do, but because he already loves us. And that brings joy. I think when Jesus says, you'll ask me no more questions, I think it's because we finally understand how good he really is. I think post-resurrection and death, I think we look back and we realize how good he really was. And that would teach us to walk in joy. That we'd realize a lot of our questions are kind of meaningless. Because we understand how much he does love us because he died to bring us into relationship with him. I think one day we're going to see the entire world remade and reborn. But now we understand Jesus has defeated sin and guilt and pain and suffering. That Jesus has brought joy and hope and love and peace. I mean, this is the understanding of Christmas. Jesus was born, lived, died, rose from the grave to make all things new, including us. That's the gospel. And we are invited into a life of joy. And that life of joy begins in a place of surrender to who Jesus is and who Jesus calls us to be. I mean, Advent is meant to be a time of sober reflection that leads to joy. So we start in sober reflection. You know, what is our world like? What have our lives been like? But it should end in joy because we understand what he is. That he is the one who has come to save and redeem and rescue all of us. And so it starts here, but it ends here. Because how could it not end in joy? I mean, even when we talk about communion every week, where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. But we do that because the remembrance that that's not where it ended. He rose from the grave. Not only does he take away our sins, he comes back to life to raise us to new life so we can live lives in relationship with God and each other again. I mean, we should be a people who live in joy because we begin to understand what God has done. It's not that we're better than anybody else. It's not that we're better. 
It's that we are beginning to have an understanding of what God has done. And that shouldn't make us get big, prideful heads. It should keep us humble because we know what God did to save us. But it also teaches us to live and walk in joy because he did save us. The band's going to come up. Go around here somewhere. Wow, you're way over there in the corner. It's like, nobody puts baby in the corner, right? (laughs) That was John's line, by the way, not mine. Sorry. (laughs) Oops. I'm bad with words. (laughs) Um, And and guys, there's Dominicans in the back. If you guys need prayer, I mean, maybe you're in a spot in your life where you haven't understand the great things that God did to rescue and save us, not because we're so good, but because he's so good. And that he has stepped into this creation that we have so messed up to rescue and redeem it. And that causes us to be a people who live in the great joy of what he has done. And they would love to pray with you about that. If, you've, if your life has never been surrendered to Christ, if you've never met Jesus, they'd love to pray with you about that. Now, there's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response, just like communion is kind of response and prayer is a response. It's all response to what he's done. And there's some food in the back. I invite you to grab something to eat, maybe meet some other people, and have some of these harder discussions this week. You know, what? how full is your joy gauge? You know, okay, great. How full is your irritation meter? It's full, too, right? You know, <laughs> I had to go to Costco this week. I know, okay, I know. <laughs> um, and so, you know, kind of feel those things out and, and start to realize what is actually important. What is important is understanding that Jesus came to rescue and save us. And that, and that should make us live in joy like nothing else does. Because he is so, so good. And we live in the grace that he has first sought to rescue and save us. And all of our lives become surrendered to him because he is the great God who died and rose to save us. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to remember to walk in the understanding of your grace. For those in this room today whose lives have never been surrendered to you, who do not necessarily even know who you are. I ask that you would begin to move their hearts in ways that everything in them becomes surrendered to you and they become reborn and they become renewed and remade and begin to live in the joy that you bring. For those of us here, who follow you and love you and call you our Savior and our God, I ask that you would remind us what it means that you deemed to save us, that you didn't just leave us on our own, but you have called us to hope and life and grace again, that we'd be a people who go and tell this everywhere. Like that old song says, over the mountains and everywhere that we would tell of who you are and your goodness. That when the rains and the clouds come into our lives, even though we may not be happy at the time, our joy is pervasive enough that we would live in that in the midst of those hard times. Because we understand what you have done and what you have called us to. And we would fully live in the understanding of your grace and be a people, especially at Christmas time, to reflect the goodness of that joy. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.